0: Welcome to The Spirit Explodes with Roger Kirby. Study 20 on the Acts of the Apostles comes from Acts chapter 21 verse 1 to 23 verse 11 and it is all about Jewish justice From this point on Luke tells his story with big incidents difficult to ask questions about These first two and a half chapters are about how Paul was tried before the Jewish authorities, found innocent. The next two and a half are about how the Romans found him innocent. The last two tell the story about his voyage to Rome. We will have to take them in those big chunks, with more explanation and less questioning than we have been used to. But first, Paul still has to get to Jerusalem. Luke is still with him on this journey, and so we get a vivid account of where they went. First, we read chapter 21, verses 1 to 16.
1: After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board, and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea, and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, We gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Mnason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples.
0: Luke must have been aware that he was leaving a great puzzle behind for all his readers. In the last chapter he records Paul saying, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Here he tells us the Christians in Tyre, through the Spirit, urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Question 1. How can the Spirit have said these two apparently contradictory things? How can we resolve the conflict, and what should we learn from it? The Spirit was, as always, speaking through fallible human beings. So here we have human misunderstandings of what they were being told. With hindsight, it is easy to see that Paul was being led in his thinking to look at the long-term implications of what he was to do. He had done a good job of evangelizing what we now call Turkey and Greece, and he was looking to the next step, Rome, modern Italy, and modern Spain. He was right, at least in part, eventually reaching Rome, and therefore Italy. Whether he ever reached Spain, we do not know, but he may well have done so. The good folk in Tyre were taking a very short-term view, thinking that Paul should avoid the problems they correctly foresaw awaiting him in Jerusalem. Both these prophecies turned out to be right in their own way. For us this is a warning. People may correctly understand what the Spirit is saying to them, but misinterpret its implications. Be careful of those who are sure they have the only local correct hotline to God. The other interesting point in this passage is the description of the four daughters of Philip, who reappears here having been last heard of in Caesarea, shortly after his conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch. All four are described as prophetesses. The role of women in the church is much disputed, with great attention being given to what appear to be absolute statements about what they should wear, head coverings, and should not do, talk in church and teach. The early church had to work out carefully what it was appropriate to do within the culture in which they operated. We have the difficult task of deciding which of their cultural decisions are binding for all time and which are not, requiring different and apparently contradictory decisions from us. When we have finished with the inevitable arguments that this will create, we need also to ask whether Philip's daughters, Priscilla? Dorcas, Phoebe, etc., would be able to carry out the ministry they clearly had in the days of the New Testament if they were in this church and that church in the present day. The practice, which is not so culture-dependent, needs to be roughly the same in every cultural situation. Question 2. Would they be able to carry out those or equivalent ministries in your church? If not, why not? Your answer, of course. And now we read in chapter 21, verses 17 to 29.
1: When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them, and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them zealous for the law. They have been informed that you are teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, and so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end, and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people, and our law, and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area, and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area.
0: What the, the leaders in Jerusalem said they had heard about Paul is, of course, quite wrong. He had argued against Gentile believers having to be circumcised or obey Jewish customs, but he had never suggested that Jews should not continue to follow all their ancestral customs if they set out to follow Jesus. It is hard to know what to make of the advice Paul received from these leaders. Was it ever likely to work? We cannot tell. This passage does remind us that we need to do all we can to attract people to the Lord, as Paul was prepared to do. And we now read chapter 21, verses 30 to 39.
1: The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up, and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd shouted one thing, some another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the crowd was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, Away with him! As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. A citizen of no ordinary city, please let me speak to the people.
0: By the time he reached Rome, Paul had many things to thank the Romans for. Here they rescue him from the mob, thus probably from certain death. The commander was very quick to intervene and rescue Paul. Full marks to him. Now we read chapter 21 verse 40 through to chapter 22 verse
1: 22. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defence. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia." and brought up in this city under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in in the law of our fathers, and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus, and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men, of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on His name. When I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying at the temple. I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, He said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, These men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he is not fit to live.
0: It is hard to understand why the mere mention of the Gentiles should have caused such a strong reaction from the crowd. The foundational text for Israel was Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, which include the statement, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, that is, Abraham who they all claimed as their ancestor. All peoples must include the Gentiles. Indeed, they must be nearly all Gentiles. Question 3. What particular aspects of human nature does this teach us about? The power of crowds is one obvious factor. In a large crowd, people can do things they would never think of doing when acting as individuals. The power of strong teaching is also in evidence here. People can be taught to think and do things that are totally inconsistent with their core beliefs. Totalitarian states have made great use of this quirk of human behaviour in the last 100 years. Beware. And now we read in chapter 22, verses 23 to 30.
1: As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, "'Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty?' When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realised he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul had been accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them.
0: Everything that happened in New Testament times happened in the social setting so clearly visible here. The top Jewish controlling body, the Sanhedrin, could be ordered to assemble and try Paul by the garrison commander of this one city. Imagine how much the Jews must have hated the Romans because of things like that. And finally, we read the first 11 verses of chapter 23.
1: Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's high priest? Paul said, Brothers, I did not realize he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, came out in the Sanhedrin. My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, stood up, "'and argued vigorously. "'We find nothing wrong with this man,' they said. "'What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him?' "'The dispute became so violent "'that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. "'He ordered the troops to go down "'and take him away from them by force "'and bring him into the barracks. "'The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, "'Take courage,' As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome.
0: At some time in the events of this study, probably more easily when he first arrived in Jerusalem, Paul could have decided he had had enough and quietly withdrawn from the scene. Question 4. Why did he not do so? What should we learn from his experience? Paul had a strong and compelling conviction that he still had much work to do. He was the sort of character who was single-minded and would not take no for an answer, but kept on going through all the things that would discourage a more ordinary mortal. Such people tend not to be the easiest of folk to work with, but they are vital for the Church and many other human endeavours. He had received visions at his conversion, as he planned his ministry journeys, as he determined to go to Jerusalem, and then Rome, and now one assuring him that he would actually get to Rome, unlikely, though that must have seemed. We will probably never see an angel, but an angel was just a messenger. The words angel and message are closely connected in Greek. And the Lord has many ways of getting a message to us. Through the word of God written, through other people, things written, or just from a strong inner conviction. Be careful to listen for such messages and be even more careful to hear them. End of study. Thanks for listening. Come back to Partakers www.partakers.co.uk where every day there is something added to help you
1: in your life as a Christian disciple thank you